0: It's the 9th of July, I'm Arthur S. Falls, and you're listening to episode eight of Beyond Bitcoin. Nothing you hear on this show is investment advice. If you choose to store your ill-gotten gains in something other than your mattress, remember what Adam used to say. Consult your local futurist, lawyer, and investment advisor. Also, remember the opinions you hear are only those of the people expressing them. If you find yourself getting a bit worked up about what you hear said, just chill out. Our opinions may differ, but we're all on the same team. I know what you're thinking. Where's the bird? Well, it was suggested that in order to broaden our listener base, we should include a segment on something other than our usual fare. Indigenous New Zealand bird life was to be that topic. But unfortunately, the workload is heavy enough. And so after some experimenting with a bit of formatting, The segment has been canned. Sorry guys, with any luck we'll resurrect the idea down the track a bit. Today we're focusing on higher level deployments of the counterparty protocol. By now everyone is used to hearing about Swarm, the Crowdsale Equity Platform, and Joel Dietz joins me again with Ben Ingram. Also with us is Jeremy Lamb of Vend, the machine that churns out assets in exchange for, well, whatever you tell it to accept. As usual, good conversation gets in the way of structured interview, which suits me just fine. We look at XBTC, bringing altcoins onto the counterparty exchange, customer and employee rewards, carbon credits, and Swarm's powerful voting system. Well, we're waiting for... Joel, I had I had a question about XCP and XBTC. Mm. XCP I appreciate as a a currency that's more fluid on the on the counterparty platform. And XBTC is obviously it's a fluid version of of Bitcoin. And I'm wondering how these if you see these as competing for the, the general currency of use?
1: That's actually quite a good question. Um, the way I see it is, it is actually in a way competing for liquidity, but at the same time, they work hand in hand. So obviously XCP is a native currency for the counterparty platform itself, and it's a trustless currency on the counterparty platform. XBTC, as you said, is is like an analog for lack of, lack of another word of BTC. So, in that sense, people are very comfortable with the idea of trading against BTC, but it's not as trustless as as XCP, at least in its current form. So, it's a little bit of a, a gradient here in in terms of of when you compare. Uh, liquidity and trustlessness of the actual asset itself so yes in some ways they compete in some ways they complement each other because you can obviously trade against XCP and XBTC against each other and you get that uh, really frictionless uh, trading that you'd like to have on the decentralized
0: exchange you can exchange your exposure uh, frictionlessly
1: that, that's right so you, you can you can basically set a tolerance for how much risk you are willing to take for the issuer of an asset and then you can price that in on how you actually wish to to um, offer that asset for sale so um, we like US dollars for example there's many different values a US dollar might have in different countries depending on either who you exchange your current currency for or where you you actually exchange it for. Similarly, you could have different versions of BTC, and actually there are too. So I haven't seen it being mentioned uh, before, but there's actually an MP BTC as well on the counterparty network, which is a a very similar thing to bit uh, xbtc where it's backed by btc from a different uh, from a different person the service itself is different however so the the service level agreement the fee and say the uh, profile of the individual corporation offering mp btc is different to xbtc and it is priced differently
0: but they're both using your uh, your platform.
1: Actually, no. So that's where the difference in uh, in say the venue of the issuer is. So XBTC is issued using the same technology vendors. It's completely automatic, and it happens in a uh, completely transparent way. And there's source code which runs XBTC will be available for everyone to see. Whereas, as far as I know, the the other venues to get a a um, BTC-like asset doesn't run the same way. Either it's run manually or you don't have visibility of all the funds that are being kept there.
0: When you convert a token to Mm -hmm. another token, I'm wondering if you see any avenues for converting arbitrary input, like, um, like say, for example, uh, marketing performance measured in referrals to uh, stake in an enterprise's profits?
1: That's a very interesting question. It isn't something that I had thought about. That's a, a rather good idea, actually. You've got there.
0: <laughs> okay, oh, <shush>. so... <laughs> But you know, if you can take a granular performance metric, say, and convert that into a mm-hmm. an asset, uh, I guess that would come un- probably under the the umbrella of you know an oracle. But I don't know how. I don't know of a platform that would then take a data feed and t- and rather than using that for say a a binary bet, you know, to resolve a binary bet or to as a price feed, I don't know of anyone that would then convert that into mm-hmm. a new token you know what i mean mm-hmm,
1: mm-hmm. that certainly is possible so from a technical standpoint it completely is possible as long as an api exists and the api exists such that there's a deterministic way of recognizing that a certain event occurred so when we're talking about bitcoin that's pretty easy because we've got a public ledger we've got Uh, we've got something that we can essentially tap into via the API, via Bitcoin D, and we can deterministically say, yes, we've received uh, a send on this address and it equals this number of Bitcoins. In the same fashion, you could tap into any other API that you could deterministically say, okay, well, in your case, this oracle... Mm -hmm produce a particular result and after the fact we've gone and rated it or however perhaps it's done through a decentralized way and therefore that rating might be one hundred whatever one hundred one hundred coins that's that's completely possible. And I suppose when you mentioned that what sprung to my mind rather than a rather than an Oracle or a crypto kind of Uh, application or something more towards like an internal organization. One thing that's big in large organizations is key performance metrics and all that kind of stuff. So why wouldn't it be possible to tap into internal systems, say if we're talking about a a support system which measures um, performance of how quick someone can resolve queries or feedback from, uh, from customers and use that as a means to issue points such that people can accumulate those points whether you'd call it loyalty points or anything like that and then use that in an internal store for example
0: i'm noticing a trend in um this move toward using people as these kind of highly highly kind of metric based production
1: ah right i i see what you're saying yes
0: and um, and I wonder if um, – <laughs> it's pretty dark. Mm. It's pretty dark. But I wonder if uh, if one of the side effects of this kind of technology that we're dealing with now is going to be – or one of the deployments we're going to see it in is internally in these organizations.
1: It's, it's certainly possible. Um, though I suppose it, there's a bit of a trade-off because when we're talking about using technology which is decentralized, you have a, a, a loss of um, – a loss of, of performance. So the performance is, is say, efficiency is perhaps a better word. So to be able to store such information, perhaps they could just pick an internal database in, in, the, in the company to do so. But what this technology allows you to do is open up interoperability. And that's actually something that's really large in the industry and a whole in and that's interoperability and and if if we open up interoperability the amount of opportunities really increase so what what you have here is say let, let's call it a, a metric or performance based coin and that's instantly then interoperable with a loyalty program what if you could say look I'm going to trade my performance points for some frequent flyer points on on an airlines, and I'm going to take a holiday. Now that suddenly sounds a lot more interesting than oh yeah, you can you can probably get your, yourself that yeah good. that that's right or 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 bar mix or something. So um, that's where companies can use such technology to engage engage people.
0: That brings you know real uh, real added value to. To reward programs, if they can be, you know, a if you can have kind of a market maker for these, um, for for loyalty programs. Yes,
1: I think so. I think there'll be there'll be resistance, obviously, because yeah. I think companies aren't used to having their programs available. In fact, the way that companies structure these loyalty programs are are, are ways to increase profits, and unless they see that by opening opening up interoperability, that they can increase off profits by engaging more people, then perhaps there'll be some resistance at first. But I think the point that you have there is actually really good. So market making, in this sense, is actually a huge market, is a huge thing. So this is where advertisers and, and people who want to get into the mindshare of people can step in. So all of a sudden, you aren't just Giving away, say, uh, iTunes cards to someone who calls up on the telephone—you're giving away iTunes cards to people who have essentially earned them in some way or fashion.
0: It's a, yeah, it's interesting to, to think how these programs or how this has the potential for unifying. I guess all of these uh, like gift cards. I mean, when I first heard about Vend, I immediately thought Bitcoin accepting coke machines
1: you know and And um, i think that's maybe the reason why we went that kind of direction because it's something tangible that people can hold on to and and they can
0: understand right really absolutely and i everything in the crypto space or at least my experience of it has been really abstract and quite distant from the world of things Mm. and to bring it back a bit is uh it's refreshing, and this is the direction that we need to move in—is actually uh, inter- interact with the the world of uh, of objects that you hold in your hand, really.
1: Yes, yes, I, I agree with you there. Actually, one of our one of our partners or, or people that we talk to fairly frequently is the Digital Tangible Trust. Have have you? Um, I've heard of them.
0: I haven't. Uh, I haven't had a look at. Uh, I haven't had a look at their website.
1: It's it's really something worth having a look at because it, it goes to the point of what you said that um, that we need to bring things back to the, the tangible world or, or to the physical world so that people can understand what crypto means and and what Tariq's doing in digital digital tangible trust is to the way he puts it, is to digitize um physical assets and the first thing that he's digitizing is gold and silver coins so essentially it's a gold token that you can buy from him best um, it's it's on the counterparty platform and it's fully backed by real physical gold or silver coins and those are kept in a uh, a real custodian and you can claim your gold coins back when you when you want it to so these things have value, but at the same time, the the you can call up the custodian and you can you can hold a gold coin in your hand.
0: So is that through something like some analog of say Ricardian contracts or something, like uh, both human and machine passable, or is that uh, like where does the I'm probably I mean I should probably be asking him <laughs> and probably and actually I don't know what a Ricardian contract is I've just it's something that's just come up and uh, it's something that's just come up in a conversation recently on uh, on the idea um, of kind of both uh, human and machine passable contracts that just have just a contract, but it's got a bunch of bunch of code in there as well um, and a bunch of keys right
1: and and you can the, the, the transport. In which you could actually conduct your transaction, it could be like pigeon or it could be electronic, is is that the
0: is it that is the and then it can also be legally interpreted um, as well as interpreted by a um, an autonomous agent. Right.
1: That's very cool. I'll have to have a read up on that.
0: I know that you're you've got Vend going pretty much basically on well, I mean you've got Vind going on counterparty and you can do pretty much anything that interacts with the Bitcoin API. Can you um, can you use uh, Vend to, say, convert a, a Litecoin into a counterparty asset?
1: Uh, yes, absolutely. Oh, hello, Joel.
2: Hey, oh, Joel, hey. I tried um, texting you guys. Uh, you didn't respond, so. Oh, know. sorry, man.
0: <laughs> oh, there we go. Yeah, yeah. Well, we are here. <laughs> oh, sorry. Yeah, we've been here... Um, just away. But, but, I mean, we can, we can wait for it if you're, if you're are busy.
2: Not. Um, I am, you know, but I can be ready in five minutes
0: if that works. So. Yeah, it's sure. all good, man. Is that okay? Right. Yeah, it's fine. Okay, super. I'll be back. All right, catch ya. Cool, see you, Joel.
1: Uh, yes, So, so your question. Absolutely. So, one of the low-hanging fruit is any altcoin which implements the Bitcoin API. So the way that we talk to Bitcoin is via the API. We we don't want to directly tie ourselves into the data structures of Bitcoin or things like that. So we tap into the API where we are shielded from a lot of the intricacies and, say, problems that might occur. And as a result, we Can also tap into any altcoin as well which follows that same api and litecoin dogcoin purecoin the major altcoins at the moment all share the same api so absolutely
0: we can that's awesome because that really is it's funny you know that it's that we've this holy grail technology everyone was waiting for uh you know last year has um is completely upon us but I haven't seen the integration of of altcoins onto a, a decentralized exchange yet mm-hmm. uh, that's actually
1: something that we are working on, so what we are looking for is for members of community of, of the various altcoin co- communities to actually come and and contact us so we're also trying to seek seek altcoin communities as well for those who are interested in bringing versions of their altcoin onto the decentralized exchange and what we can offer from the counterparty side is a more liquid market perhaps that some um, some altcoins might have so for example if you are launching your own altcoin you no longer have to go and and try and beg or vote or pay to vote for your altcoin to be listed on an exchange you can download vend you can configure it yourself and you can join you can create an asset on the counterparty uh on the counterparty platform that represents your altcoin and then you can trade it you can get people to gateway into counterparty and trade on the decentralized exchange so developers have
0: that control now the catch is though that the coin the keys for the coins themselves they have to be kept on a server don't they
1: Yes. So, in the current form, we we do have plans in the future to r- reduce or as much remove the trust on the gateway itself, which is, which is something that perhaps we can touch on in a moment. Um, but by the same token, if you launch an altcoin, you do have to trust the developer anyway because you don't have the... Uh, you don 't have a product unless the developer actually keeps on bringing it forward itself, so you can 't remove trust anyway from from the equation in the end it, it's, a, it's it 's it's a fairly large thing, so we can the, the the technology is becoming available, and as it becomes available, we will integrate that into Ven to reduce the trust to the smallest amount possible in the gateway itself so uh, one thing that we've been discussing internally is is a it's a set of multiple vending machines that run in a federated consensus mode to release funds from a multi-sig address and that would reduce a reduce the trust in a a single operator to a a large percentage but if we're talking about uh, trust. We still will always have to trust the issuer of the asset because whether it's a altcoin or whether it's a, it's a an asset backing another asset, sorry it's it's an asset which is backed by another asset like a gold coin or whether it's something else, there is trust involved in in the in the issuer itself.
0: Yeah, well, that's the catch, isn't it? And there's not much else. There's not much that can be done about it. That's where, uh, that's where Joel comes in, I suppose.
1: That's, that's right. So what we, what we need to do is we need to have a, a system, and ideally that system would be a decentralized system that you can essentially either rate or vet or ensure that those who enter the platform are of a certain quality. And that really will improve the value of the whole ecosystem tremendously.
0: I uh, the I've been looking at uh, open transactions uh, Well, I've been following their forums a little bit recently, and they're deeply entrenched. Uh, not open transactions, sorry, open bazaar. Mm. Um, they're deeply entrenched over there mm. <clears throat> with um, with reputation because that's that's the basis of their entire platform. That's uh, well, I'm sure they have they have all kinds of challenges ahead of them for the platform that are uh, that elaborate. But mm. yeah, reputation is real. It's really difficult to to establish a uh, a reliable system for for giving people for rating people's reputations.
1: It is. It's it's actually one of the most difficult problems that I think uh, are out there at the moment. So even when you have a system, let's say eBay, where the people on it are by uh, are far, far from anonymous. Of course, there's, it's possible to create multiple identities, but the people who, who are on the platform are, are far from anonymous. Such a system, such a platform still finds it difficult to create something which is a reliable way of rating or or, or or establishing what uh, what the trust is in in a particular individual, isn't it?
0: Yeah, it's uh, the other thing as well is you you can just have uh, with eBay, you know, you've got a binary option, yay or nay. Was it a good, was it a healthy transaction or not? But at the end of the day, you know, if what you've bought is if it was a good transaction, but if what you bought was not quite up to spec, but you can't really, but you can't give them the thumbs down you're left giving them 100%.
1: That, that's right. And and if you've if you've transacted on an eBay for a little bit as well, you, you know that there's sort of like this culture of, oh, well, if it wasn't so bad and we could resolve your issue in the end, then give us a thumbs up rather than a thumbs down, right? So it, there's this other... But it took a month, man. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. And PayPal held my funds. <laughs> but it's still a good thing. It was great in the end.
0: I mean, there has been no no innovation in the um, in the reputation space that's really caught on. I'm sure some, someone's out there working on the problem. Uh, but yeah, it certainly hasn't seen mass deployment anywhere. I guess while we're on the eBay uh, subject, is there any outlook for do you have any thoughts on? Do you see any avenue for fiat currency to enter? Oh, have we got you, Joel? Yep, yeah, yeah, I'm
2: here. Great,
0: hey,
2: and available for the next while. So,
0: <laughs> cool, man. All right, let's see. We've we've cut. We've had. Some, we've been having a pretty productive conversation, but I'm sure I've got. Uh, where's my little list of both? There we go. Okay, so. Joel, you're the co-founder of crowd-sale platform Swarm, and Jeremy, you're the creator of uh, of the automated currency conversion tool, Vend. So to begin with, could you guys explain the relationship between your platforms?
1: Perhaps, Joel, you'd be the best person to speak about that, so you, you, you can explain how Vend is being used by, by Swarm.
2: Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, Vend allows us to easily... Um, you know, do this sort of exchange um, between some kind of currency, you know, primarily Bitcoin and an asset that's listed on Counterparty. And, um, you know, the, we're basically using this, um, you know, version that Jeremy created with a kind of few tweaks that are, um, you know, for our kind of custom solution. And we're kind of gradually adding on some other things, um, you know, that kind of or identify, uh, or whatever sort of fixed needs that we've identified uh, through the process of uh, doing our own crowd sale. So, I guess you could say that um, you know we're basically using the the vending uh, machine that Jeremy has built as kind of a core part of our infrastructure at the moment.
0: I'm not sure if this is uh, this translates so easily into um, into this medium, but could you explain, Jeremy, how the um, how you um, how funds that are donated to the the Swarm uh, crowd sale address are then converted into uh, Swarm coin?
1: Yeah, sure. I'll I'll try and explain it. It, it, it is difficult when something is a, a little bit abstract. Um, however, I'll, I'll give it a go. So the way that Venn works in the mode that Joel has set up for for Swarm is it's set up in a listener mode. So what that means is that there's a separation of the vending machine from the address which is receiving the funds. So what that means is is that Joel is currently running the vending machine. However, that vending machine never needs to access the private key of the funds that have been sent to SWARM. In fact, uh, it, correct me if I'm wrong, Joel, those funds are actually going into a, a secure wallet uh, equivalent of like cold storage. And what Venn does is it uses the, the feature of the blockchain that is having a public ledger to recognize when Bitcoins is being sent and confirmed at a particular address. Once Venn has recognized that transaction has taken place, then, then we'll connect to the counterparty network and it will send the swarm asset out to the person or, or or the individual that had sent Bitcoins in the first place. And once again, because Bitcoin is a public and open ledger, we can determine through that ledger who sent the Bitcoins in the first place to send the swarm asset to the originator. This, was that clear? Um, I hope it was.
0: That was perfect. Okay. Yeah. Coming back to you, Joel, I'm wondering how you feel the the idea or the understanding of the process of a crowd sale unfolding has developed over you know the Mastercoin NXT BitShares counterparty Made Safe um, crowd sales. How that's informed the current understanding of crowd sale strategy.
2: Yeah, I think we've learned a ton from that. And I think that's one of the core things that, you know, we're building out the intelligence for. And in fact, we just presented a paper, uh, kind of one of the first academic papers on crypto economic systems and particularly related to crowd sales at um, an academic conference in Notre Dame University this past weekend. Um, and there's, you know, a lot just, I would say it's still very, very early stage. Um, but, you know, you're... You know, there's And every one of these kind of crowd sales so far has had a little bit of a different model to them. And I don't know, I could talk about every single one of them and kind of what we've learned from them. But, you know, one of the kind of core things is that, um, you know, you need incentivization structures to get people in early um, and kind of create movement in that direction that can be done with kind of, you know, some sort of slope on the return um, and you, you, know, a lot of people also have a strong desire to get rid of their or diversify their illiquid assets. So this is kind of, and you're kind of playing this, this is actually, you know, we have not, you know, that was one of the things that got people upset about the made safe thing, um, is that, you know, there were a lot of people who had a lot of master coins that were very excited to kind of transfer them into something else. And, um, you know, in that case, they gave a kind of very, very substantial preferential rate, which um, is not something that we've done. But um, uh, you know, there's still like a lot of just a general speaking desire in the market to kind of shift around these relatively illiquid assets. Um, although I think you know one of the cool things about the vending machine, in particular, since that's the topic of this call, is that I think it will add a lot of um, liquidity to um, you know something like the counterparty assets when you can more easily swap them as opposed to having to go through the decentralized exchange, which is you know thoroughly time consuming.
0: Yeah. Uh we were just talking about the interoperability of uh that that Vend allows and how this uh we're beginning to see through i p o s again like you were saying this interoperability further extended by um added, you know by bringing liquidity to um like you said to these uh these less liquid assets i'm wondering you guys uh know about the carbon credits credits system
2: yeah actually our COO here of um, Swarm worked on carbon credits for a while, so, so.
0: well. Then this will be great because uh, I've got a, uh, I've got a workmate who's he's got a forestry plot, and in uh, in New Zealand we had current you know we had carbon credits internally, and then they opened them up to uh, to inter- to the international market, and they lost you know. 99 percent of their value or something like that you know it was it was really severe and um but the way they'd structured it um a lot of people had been trading on carbon on their on the carbon credits of the forestry that they were that they were producing and found themselves underwater on a plot of trees that in order to cut down they had to buy back the carbon credits for long story short there's a bunch of underwater uh people in forestry because of Gaming of the um, of the carbon credit system after the fact, and I'm wondering if you guys have uh, have any thoughts on how how carbon credits deployed using you guys methodologies um, might uh, might appear. Is that is that a, does that question make sense? Oh, I think I
1: just lost someone. I'm I'm still here. I I don't think I feel qualified to answer that. I'm afraid. <laughs> <laughs> yeah,
3: In the UK. We- Um, I guess the centre of climate change action uh, government sponsored in the UK and one of the largest climate change agencies in the world sponsored quite a few of the carbon credit schemes and actually devised the rules for them. So I have a little background in that space before here um, and if the question is would we have something to contribute to that, absolutely. I mean, um, there was a number of different networks that came into operation, probably most notably company called C3 Networks in the US, which was started by Thomas Siebel of Siebel Software fame. Um, But the problem was what we saw was an emergence of these centralized exchanges that didn't really have any trust basis for the operation of either credit providers or, The money maker side of it, either. So, um, I've heard all sorts of horror stories of companies in um, the Amazon sending people bags of tree seeds and saying each one of these seeds embodies a tree that could be planted and therefore could be counted as carbon credits. So, uh, you know, it was a system that unfortunately, despite great intentions was rife with fraud and really what was lacking was that trust processing network and due diligence so
0: yeah carry on that was uh that was i mean certainly for us i mean ours dropped to cents i mean right now the i don't know i think they might have gotten as low as 17 cents when when the the scheme was opened up to the international market
3: well Where that came about, and we watched that happen, was uh, there were a number of uh, truly great schemes put into place around the world that really did have and take to heart the intention of um, encapsulating spent carbon is the way of looking at it. So, um, you know, spent carbon is we we burn dead dinosaurs, we release their carbon. You know, that's the, the, the fundamental basis of it. Likewise, we burn timber, we actually release the carbon. There's all sorts of different ways of releasing uh, entrapped or um, managed carbon. Now, a, a very easy way to put it back into place, obviously, is in the form of trees. You know, they're great at temporarily, I mean, for hundreds of years, storing carbon. Um, they're a little bit different to the fossil fuel, which is where the primary depletion came from. And th- when you think about that, you see where, it, while it sounded like a great idea, it isn't really an ongoing solution to the problem. So you're fighting a losing battle if you think you're going to replace the carbon released from fossil fuels with a temporary solution like a tree. Trees are beautiful, but they take space. They're a very expensive solution for the carbon they they embody. So, but people did it, and it's still a positive impact in many ways, But the thing that started to emerge was a scam aspect. So, which had the effect of um, destabilizing the the value placed on the real schemes and also undermining the value in it because people fundamentally, unfortunately, when faced with the option of, say, offsetting their flight, um, if they could do it for 30 cents or they could do it for $5, unfortunately, they generally chose the 30-cent option and invariably, the person that could do it much cheaper was because they weren't really doing it. You know, how did you battle that? If, if someone says, I've got a bag of seeds here, actually, a sack, I can tell you, you could almost reforest the Amazon with a few sacks of seeds. You know, it, it really is that, that difference, that the, the a sack full of tree seeds takes significantly less space than those trees. So what we saw was people effectively selling seeds and based on their potential to offset carbon. So you had like a carbon futures market or carbon offset futures market that just destroyed the real market. So it's a real shame. But really what it boiled down to, as I said, was bad due diligence and a, a lack of a trust network to actually expose where the money Flow was in in this, so uh, you know it became just a great way for people to make money rather than a great way to do something good.
0: And well, I've got yeah. <laughs> this is a bit rude. Uh, this is a, a bit rude to you, Jeremy. I guess I'll um I'll, I'll be quick though. Um, I was just talking to Jeremy about uh, about using arbitrary arbitrary data feeds to to create. Uh, crypto assets, uh, and I'm wondering if you see any way to take a feed from or, you know, take a, uh, a granular unit of carbon embodied in, say, a single tree uh, and convert that into a uh, an asset.
3: I think what you're talking about um, is something that I'm almost ashamed that I didn't think of. I'm sitting at this table thinking, Oh damn, how how am I immersed in this Bitcoin space and trading of oh, creation of as coins and not creating a link to my past. And it makes a lot of sense. Um I hope someone will do it and launch a project on Swarm. But I hope that they're ready for us to
0: scrutinize their ass. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's uh that's good to hear. I actually didn't catch your name. You dropped out right before uh right before you came on, I think.
3: That's right. I'm Ben um, Ben Ingram. So if you look on the Swarm website and the team, you'll find me in the middle there, my my happy smiling face staring right back
0: at you. Ah, oh, cheers. Good to meet you, Ben.
3: I'm, I'm 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 from the right side of the world as well.
0: Okay. Well, let's let's bring this all back to um, back to Swarm and uh, and Vend. As I as I've kind of got this worked out, we've got Swarm acting as as translator and. And kind of pioneer charting the the real world territory for innovations coming from the crypto equity space and um and the the or the you know the the crypto token space and um, and translating it into into translating those innovations from the real world which may um which may not yet have found a deployment or found a uh, found an employment for for the cryptocurrency or crypto equity tokens and bringing all of those things together is that um is that a fair description of what you guys are
2: yeah i think that's pretty accurate so obviously the kind of immediate application of that is in the kind of crowdfunding world where we think the kind of crypto equity model has a lot of benefits um, compared to you
3: know old crowdfunding technology well you know we we totally agree i mean the, the the principle is take anything that can be represented or tokenized so um usually identified by something that was traded and you could be talking about commodities which includes carbon of course so you know when we talk about carbon trading effectively we're talking about commodity trading um so anything in the commodity trading world anything in the financial world, really, because then you're talking about virtual entities where you're just coming up with a, uh, a tool that's able to be used as a trading mechanism. So um, there's huge applicability anywhere in that, that world. Um, and then likewise, I mean, the, the extension of it is as a voting tool, which we're doing for our corporate governance. So um, you know, that's what crypto provides, is a trust network for trading. Um, and anything that you can map to a token, works.
0: The whole trick is to actually tie it to that token, though. That's the um, finding a way to do that in a, in a democratic and fair fashion is... Yeah, you're right. That's it's the trick.
3: And there's lots of ways to do it. I mean, a great example is Kamapati. Obviously, we're working on their platform. And we see that with the arbitration feeds for their betting tokens, for example, is a great way of tie, tying absolutely the outcomes to one one thing or another so uh, you know and there's going to have to be those sorts of things as you said um a way to bind the value of a token to a carbon credit for example and have someone able to um i guess arbitrate that it's true but um and that's what our due diligence is for is coming at really assessing that there is a valid model to map something of value or the value that's represented in the coin and that's that's probably why that's the single most um, important aspect of SWARM's operation is to perform that due
0: diligence. That's got to be a really difficult undertaking to to do in a way that is going to be acceptable to all parties. I mean, you're really trying to please, uh, you really have to try to please everyone, don't you? <laughs>
3: you? You couldn't have put that more succinctly. That is a really, really hard thing to do. We spend a lot of hours every day um, not really getting past lots of aspects of it, and that's why we started with our crowdfunding before we do everything.
0: Yeah, yeah, fair enough. <laughs> hey, hey, this is
1: Jeremy here. I, I might pose a question and take uh, take your position for a moment there, Arthur, if I could. By all means. So uh, I am interested in that point actually that you raised before, then about uh, about this the process on. Uh, how do you see it working because obviously when I see this from, uh from, from the technical point of view, uh, I see there's a, a very large number of shareholders or, or, or people who are interested in the platform. How are you going to be able to represent the view of this vast number of people on something which is essentially a, a, a binary outcome? Do we it onto this one or do we not?
3: I'm sorry, you broke up a little bit there, jeremy. i'm I'm hoping it's not my connection at this end, but um, you' were saying how are we going to represent the view of the large number of investors? Yes, that's right uh, ha, ha, what what are your ideas about that?
1: because okay. there are a large number of investors, and there's a single outcome in the end well for for the decision of whether to bring a project on the swarm or not?
3: Um no, I think that it's not that simple. Um, and certainly our voting doesn't have to be binary. So if you've seen, I don't know if you've seen, Jeremy, but we're actually, i as we were, this interview is being conducted, on my screen right now um, is a newsletter that I'm about to send, um, which is just to remind everyone about the first swarm investor vote, which happens today. And it's probably, you know, I'm going to be, um, a little bold and, you know, as I put it, I'm blowing our own bugle a little bit here. But I think that one of the most important things we're doing is probably using these crypto equities as a voting coin. Um, it's, I, you know, my, my statement that I've been saying to some of the mainstream press the last couple of days is that my perspective is this probably the single most important event ever to occur in the world of corporate governance since corporate governance. Um, where we're, we're basically going to allow our investors to participate absolutely directly and transparently in the decisions that are made of us as a company. And it's not just binary. Um, so a little bit like the preferential voting system that exists for electing leaders in some countries, not, not, not necessarily every small island in the world has the same system, but um, the, pre- the idea of a preferential vote means that, okay, if you don't get the outcome you wanted, maybe you'll get the next best outcome. Now, to do that, that's an imperfect voting system in operation. But for example, let's say that you own 10 swarm coins. Um, What I'm going to give you is 10 voting coins. So let's say that I had five potential outcomes for something. I'll let you distribute your vote amongst those five potential outcomes. You could effectively say, I don't care and not vote at all, or I don't care, I'm gonna put two tokens on every vote, um, which would tell me either, I didn't care for your vote, or I did care for the vote, but not the outcome. Or you could say, I'll put all of my voting tokens on one outcome, because it matters that much to me, or I'll split it amongst my preferred three, for example. So really, it's not just about the ability to vote, but the ability to really clearly express your opinion on matters. So, um, we can't get a perfect world. The reality is not everyone is going to be satisfied with every outcome all the time. But, I think we're putting in play a system that'll mean we have an incredible amount of visibility of what the sentiment of people is, what it is that gets people involved. So, the sort of statistics it's going to reveal for us is, who how many took part in the vote were it people was it people with high holdings or lower holdings because we can tie the vote distribution back to the level of investment um i actually think we're going to see an interesting reverse bias that that what we do as a company may matter a lot more to those who have very small holdings so someone who's put in a third of a bitcoin or half a bitcoin um, it probably matters to them a great deal um and that think of it as opposed to a whale who has a lot of bitcoins and has put in 20 or 30. You know, to them, this might seem far less significant. So I think we're going to get a really strong grassroots view and very broad view of all of the decisions we make. So how are we going to do it? We are going to engage our investors very actively. And I mean, this starts today. It's July 4th. So we thought it was kind of a fun thing to launch, despite the fact I'm an Australian living in England, um, we thought Independence value was a great idea or, you know, it suited our timing, if nothing else, to launch our voting platform. So, um, you know, we've already crowdfunded on our crowdfunding platform. Now we're turning our crowdfunding platform into a decentralized crypto voting platform. So if people's heads didn't explode last week... (laughs) Just wait for it to start today,
0: wow, that sounds I mean I had no idea that you guys were uh i mean maybe that's just uh, me being uninformed that you guys were holding a vote uh, today uh, what what's the vote on?
3: um it is well I'll, I can tell you because it'll be public it's already on our blog if you want to read the details, but to save you that we we are um, in phase one of our crowdfunding period, as you probably know, um, which has a target a target of four thousand five hundred bitcoins. Um, we've we've had a lot of people comment about what is proposed as our phase two rounds, which would take us out to significantly more bitcoin. So um, a long tail, but projected out to twenty one thousand bitcoins. Now, a lot of people have come back to us and said, "Aren't you guys just being greedy here? You know, that's too much." You know, despite the fact we've tried to separate it because it's all about funds, a distributed funds to help other startups. But regardless, um, it's. I guess we don't want to be getting criticism and just answer it. It's putting it out. If really our investors think this is not a great idea and want us to stop, um, put our heads down and deliver a working product, then that's what we'll do. So we're making a huge potential change in our plan by this vote, which is to either stop at 4,500 Bitcoins. And develop and deliver the fully working platform or whether to continue and you know and leave the option open we may well do the further fund and later on uh, but it's whether to stop and focus on that or should we carry on the momentum right now and continue to raise to fund other projects
2: and sort of adding in that the voting also would continue for opening up the second round so everyone who you know, as uh, the Swarm will basically be able to vote
3: on whether or not it would be unlocked in the future if you do another funding work. So, it has profound impacts on people's holdings. Um, if you are an investor right now in Swarm, um, it would effectively lock out dilution that would occur if we took more investments in a bigger pool. Um, but it would mean that the no- the larger number of shares you have now are effectively worth less each. So... Uh, you know, it's that age-old question. It's a very complex one for any company. Do we have more shares of lower value or less shares of higher value? And um, uh, is the sum of the total investment, you know, would you rather have 1% of a really, really big pie or 10% of a little tiny one? And is shooting for the big pie appropriate? So there's a lot of embedded questions in the vote. Um, it'll be really interesting to see people's opinions and we are going to act on it. You know, that's uh, I think probably the most fundamentally important part of this. It's not a vote that's rigged to get the outcome we want. It's a vote where we will do what our investors tell us to do.
0: The great thing about that is it gives your platform a bit of flexibility and mobility without uh, without breaking your social contract.
3: Absolutely. The social contract is fluid and will change to demand, but it's always making sure that it's aligned with people's opinions, perspectives. But we, this is just the beginning. You know, we're, we're extending this to be um, a governance model for approving our expenditure, for example. So what we expect to see very shortly is more progressive companies that are far more accountable to the will of their investors. So, for example, what you may see is a projected expenditure plan, much like a national budget, being approved in principle, and then um, the change control of that as things progress. The, 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 there'll be an understanding that things occur and things change, but that, again, going to review and vote. And even if people choose not to vote, that it's open all the time to public scrutiny. So this is the sort of governance model that our platform is gonna allow us to put in place for projects. Now, it won't fit all projects. Um, If I would say, let's say there's a very established small community project that launched um, that has been running for years, it's doing a minority fundraise, it might not be an appropriate governance model for them. But on the other hand, if you have a highly speculative startup where they need to implement a trust model in the way they operate. Perhaps you've never been an entrepreneur before. So how can someone invest in your ability to succeed on a piece of paper? So this is going to give us an entirely new way to build trust around um, and introduce advanced governance into small companies without it becoming a massive overhead.
0: This is going to be available to the... uh to the companies that are built on top of Swarm, uh, and yeah.
3: It's just available. It's a core component of our offering. Um, this is, this is as we, we said, it's, it's our revolution. This is turning things completely around. We said, you know, one of the things everyone screams about is the need for due diligence. But due diligence is all about a, an upfront protection. It's like putting on your seatbelt Um, And saying I feel really safe sitting in my driveway, but I'm ready to go now. I'll take that up. Away we go. I've worn my seatbelt. I'm safe. But what we're saying is, how about we put in place active safety? You know, something that's actually contributing. You know, we're the anti-lock brakes here. This is something that's a safety device or ongoing active due diligence, a social contract that can flex, but is always maintaining a check and balance. Bugle. we're so look maybe it 's just me. I am really excited about this stuff, and it's really hard to be remotely excited about due diligence <laughs> in fact, in a previous life, you would probably be the guy that hated due diligence yeah
0: totally, but if you can make it work and if you can make it interesting um and it's i mean you've you've waltzed into a place where there's where there's been none and it's, you know, people have been crying out for it. And like uh, we were just talking uh, about before, the um, uh, Open Bazaar is deeply involved in trying to figure out a a system for, for reputations. Um, I think
3: a lot of places, but I, I just want to check, so I went off on a wild tangent there. Jeremy, did I come even remotely close to answering what you
1: asked? Yes, you did actually. I, I, it was incre- incredibly interesting
3: to hear. Right.
1: I'm, I'm actually glad I asked the question.
3: Well, you, you guys, by the you've, got, way. you've got the world exclusive there, because um, we've just been, you know, we're ready to announce it, so we, we've touched on this stuff, and there's been a couple of articles out there that have really skimmed the surface of it, but that's by far the most detailed explanation of some of the secrets swarm source there.
0: Is there anything else we uh, is there anything we, we should uh, should get about addressing before we wrap this up?
2: Yeah, I, I think one of the really cool things that um, from our side at Swarm is it, you know, and Jeremy and I talked about this um, in the very beginning about how we want to have a sort of full stack solution and you know really own all the infrastructure um, along the way, and you know this would sort of insulate us from competitors, and you know obviously there's a lot of other people who are looking at doing this crypto crowdfunding. And this was my initial, initial thought, and, you know, I shared it with Jeremy and all this stuff. But one of the, like, really cool things as things as it have evolved over time um, is I realized, and this is, this is true across the counterparty space right now, um, and one of the things that makes me really excited about it is there's a sort of, like, um, you know, coin swapping that's kind of going on where, you know, I don't actually own your project, you know, but, I, I, and I you know, maybe I don't even have any, like, real sort of, you know, control but, you know, I do benefit, um, from when your projects as well. So like I have tons of XDP now. Um, and I'm like excited, you know, to see that that value go up and the you know, the whole ecosystem around counterparty expand. Um, you know, I think uh, other people in the XDP world, you know, counterparty world have a fair number of swarm coins and they're excited to see swarm, you know, succeed and kind of bend, you know, and, you know, can have these other coins for different vending um, instances. And then, you know, it'll be like really excited to, you know, I'll be really excited to have some of those as well and, uh, you know, to kind of see those succeed. And it's kind of like instead of, um, you know, potentially being a, comp- I mean, there is, I guess, a certain degree of, you know, competition that exists, but it's also very autonomous. And you can kind of be, you know, have this control over how heavily vested you are in any given thing and have this kind of mutual incentivization structure that benefits everyone. Which is something, frankly, I've never seen anything like this before. Um, but I like, I don't know. Then that's like, I don't know. I'm really excited to see, you know, maybe Vending Machine kind of uh, set its own coins out there and, uh, you know, to facilitate that.
0: Movie as well. That's an interesting thought, Jeremy. Do you have a, uh, do you have a business model for your platform?
1: Uh, yes, we do. So the the product itself, the, the the software itself then is open source it's available for everyone to use so the the the, the base software is there we've created a company called Venn.io, which is like a, a service based uh, uh company so essentially what it offers is services to host create and customize vend machines for for people so um, for people or companies don't wish to undertake the, the IT overhead or the security implications, then.io will take that up. So, um, we've been creating world class security servers, monitoring, and frameworks to bring vending machines up and and host them in, in the best way possible. And we've, we will roll that all up so that it becomes a turnkey solution for. Uh, for people who wish to shoot them, uh, of course, if if a, if a company or, or an organization is, uh, is is more advanced or has their own internal resources, they're definitely free to go and use Bend um, and, and use it by themselves. And I think that this is a thing which Joel touched on before, and it's it's really interesting in a sense. The people who use Bend are competitors to us, but but they're not at the same time because we're both working on the ecosystem together. To, to bring more value to the ecosystem, and I think that's really exciting.
0: The impression I get of of what you're doing with Vend, Jeremy, is a bit like um, is a bit like Ubuntu's service, like support service. Is that am I kind of on the right track with that?
1: Yes, it is actually. And and for, for those who've been asking us, another way of putting it is that we'd like to be the Red Hat of of cryptocurrencies, for example. So. The, the base software is available free for everyone to use. Um, however, we've got these value-added services that we'd be most happy to provide you.
0: I mean, that's something that the the market's really, um, really dying for. Uh, certainly, the non-technical market, the the market for people who of people who can't build a blockchain. And then I guess Swarm just takes your technology and moves it that much closer to the end user.
1: Yes, that's right. Um, maybe something that I, I'll mention as well is is that there's many different ways of and different markets and, and targets for this kind of, of, of technology. So one thing that Ben mentioned before is that for say a smaller crowdfunding swarm may or may not be uh, maybe may maybe they don't need that governance model. Maybe they don't need these this this mechanism for voting although to be honest it sounds pretty good to have if it's something that you can that, that you can get uh, what we are intending to set up and it's in a moment we're developing it is a a web front or shop front where people can just come to VEN.io. they can select parameters for a vending machine Click a button, and in five or ten minutes, they'll have a vending machine set up. And what what that costs is just a small flat fee per month. It's like a rental for the for the space, and it's suited for the DIY or the do-it-yourselfers. For those who just want to raise a small amount of funds for a particular project and want to be able to chew crypto equity, uh, they want to do it. By themselves, they'll they'll have the project on their own website, and they'll just want something turnkey. But they don't they don't need to invest a lot. They, they don't need to invest a lot of time. They don't invest a lot of capital to get it running and get it running in a few minutes.
0: Um, so Joel, have you got anything? Um, have you got anything else you'd like to cover before uh, we wrap it up?
2: Um. Not in particular, just to say I'm just excited about how rapidly things are evolving, you know, and how kind of spontaneous a lot of that seems to be and, you know, how these sort of incentivization structures, um, you know, seem to be evolving as well to produce these really cool kind of mutually beneficial outcomes um, that, you know, I don't know, I, I'm just I'm super excited about all of this as well. So,
0: All right, me too. <laughs> this has been a fantastic uh discussion i'm really stoked we finally got to catch up guys Yeah, likewise. me too <laughs> are either of you guys going to be at the uh bitcoin south conference
3: uh, I, i'm really going to try very hard to come down there i get a, a kind of ulterior motive to get down there haven't i, I
0: but, yeah it'd be I, cool to see you down there yeah
3: i'm, I'm... I'm going to try. I, I haven't got a certain in my calendar yet, but um, if not the next one, certainly the next one. that makes sense?
0: Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's how these things go, eh? I, I will leave right. down there. <laughs> so, uh, you know, it would be great to catch up with people who
3: actually uh, operate in reasonable amounts of sunshine and things because, you know, fundamentally working out here in the UK, people are badly affected by lack of light, I think, so I'm just looking forward to meeting up with
0: some normal people again. More, uh, more pigmented <laughs> hue. <out of> any...
3: <laughs>
0: Leave that one. That's,
3: that's, that's not for repeat.
0: <laughs> no, no, right, I will. I'll, I'll edit that out. <laughs> okay, great, guys. Yeah, well, it was a pleasure, so thanks. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks. Yeah, good to meet you, Ben.
1: Cheers, guys, cheers. Thanks very much. Excellent.
0: That's it for this week, folks. Thanks to Jeremy Lamb, Joel Dietz, and Ben Ingram for the content, the Beyond Bitcoin community for the support, and CSIS for the music. Pertinent websites can be found in the notes. Check out the weekly developer hangouts every Saturday morning US time on our Mumble server. Setup instructions can be found on beyondbitcoin.fm. With any luck, next week we'll be talking to representatives from BitSquare, the distributed fiat-to-crypto exchange currently in development, and also xcpfeeds.info, a platform which allows betting on counterparty binary feeds. I'll see you then.